0: Welcome to the Wake Forest University Department of Counseling Podcast. I'm Robert Caceres, filling in for Dr. Bob Nations and Dr. Shannon Warden. With me today, Dr. Philip Clark. How are you, sir? Hello, doing well. I want to talk today about addictions counseling. Uh, You're one of our faculty members who, on a routine basis, teaches addictions counseling. So could you speak a bit about your experience in the department teaching that course?
1: My students will laugh because every course I'm teaching, I say, this is my favorite course. And they may think I'm being, is it disingenuous is the word? Um... But I think if I really had to narrow it down to my favorite course, addictions counseling. Addiction counseling is probably my very favorite course to teach. Yeah, I've taught it um, even when I was, uh, I believe, adjunct here, and it's been one of those courses that um, we like to share courses as much as we can among the faculty here. We're very collegial around that. If maybe there's a course that Rob was teaching, I might say, I'd love to teach that course. Would I? Would you be open to me? Yo, sure. Boy, addiction, I, I would have a hard time giving that up because that, that, that's one of my very favorite classes to teach um, for several reasons. One is I believe that um, any counselor that's worth their salt um, has had at least a course in addiction counseling because if you learn addiction counseling skills, those to me are generalizable to just being an effective counselor, period. So I, I often tell my students, even if this is not your population of interest, uh, folks with substance use disorders, um, these skills will benefit you regardless of the work that you plan to do. And part B to that is um, you have no choice if you're going to be a counselor but to be an addictions counselor in that way. You, you have the choice of whether or not to be an addiction specialist, but addictions will find you as a counselor <laughs> um, in some way, shape, or form. So you might say, well, I don't want to do addictions. I want to do couples work. Well, addiction often creeps in to couple very frequently creeps into couples' work, family work, because a lot of times what happens in couples is you know there's a pursuer-distancer thing, and one of the easiest ways to distance is through substance use. So it's in there. Um, You might not be working with a client with a substance use disorder directly. But there's a decent chance that they have a family member or loved one or partner or spouse who's struggling with substance use issues. And they're struggling with, well, how do I help this person? Um, my husband or uh, has been in and out of treatment. Or um, I believe that uh, my friend is struggling with a cocaine issue and I don't know how to help him or her. What do I do? And then that becomes a lot of the thrust of your counseling and so you realize, boy, I'm, I'm, I'm not an addiction specialist, but this topic is entering the room quite frequently. And so um, I try to get a lot of buy-in from my students. I, I, you know, I don't want to be salesy, but I want to be factual. Um, it's just information that you have to know. And again, when I was in the student seat as a master's student, I wasn't, I wasn't disinterested in addictions counseling, um, but I wasn't necessarily interested. So I, I can kind of relate when students say, I'm not super into this. Um, you know, I I can relate, um, but I kind of had a I don't know if a planned happenstance, but I kind of stumbled into my passion and curiosity around addiction's work. So I hope that many of my students, and, and one of the things I'm most proud of is when sometimes our graduates will come knock on our door, send an email, and those are the faculty. As faculty, we love that. That makes our day when we hear students successful. When students come to us and they're struggling, we we love to be helpful in a way. And I've had numerous students. Um, that now work, that probably had no plans to do addictions work and now that's their primary work as a counselor as they're working in an addictions treatment center, they're doing co-occurring disorders work which are clients who have substance use disorder and a mental health issue. Um, and so that that fills me with a sense of pride and students saying, you know, um, I didn't always love your class, Dr. Clark, but... Um, but boys, uh, a lot of the stuff you taught me have really helped me in my career as a counselor now. And so those are the things that make me really happy. And my connection and understanding that students don't always come into an addictions counseling course super jazzed. And that's okay.
0: I want to go back for a moment to that time when you were a student. What
1: event or what
0: experiences took you from that sense of ambivalence to like now this great enthusiasm and developing greater expertise around the topic and the practice of addictions counseling?
1: I encourage all students, professionals, and I try to do the same thing myself, is to be as open as possible um, to the lanes that you might enter as a helping professional. When I took my addictions class as a master's student, I, I was into the topic, but again, it wasn't I wasn't thinking I'm gonna be an addiction specialist or an addictions counselor or a certified addictions person, but part of the requirement for the addictions course at the time when I was a student, and this is also something I require of my students, is to go to mutual help group meetings so you can understand the lived experience of someone in recovery. And when I went to my first 12-step meeting as part of my master's course, I had a visceral experience because of the sense of support that was in the room at the AA, the Alcoholics Anonymous meeting I went to, Um, that was so powerful, it was unlike anything I had ever experienced. And that's where... um, I think that was kind of the first tinge of oh my gosh this is really powerful work and I came to realize I'll fast forward to later on as doing addictions counseling work as a, as a counselor and and let me be clear I don't have a certification in addictions but um I or a license I'm not a licensed addiction specialist but I teach it and I have a decent amount of experience in it but what I find is as a clinician it was some of my most rewarding work because Folks can make dramatic life changes when they get into recovery or harm reduction. So they can, um, uh, I, I remember working with, um, working with a grandfather, uh, that's not his only role, but I say that because his cocaine addiction kept him um, away from his family. And as the counseling proceeded and as he experienced more progress, one of the most powerful things the client said to me is, I am and I'm becoming the grandfather that I want to be. And so those are the type of dramatic changes you can see when you do addictions work and in counseling in general, but that's part of um, what I really enjoy. Now, the other part to this story is that um, I got my first job was in a group private practice. So I finished my master's degree. I get to this practice. They said, we need somebody um, to run uh, some co-occurring disorders groups at an addiction treatment facility. Again, co-occurring disorders meaning clients who have both a substance use disorder diagnosis and a mental health diagnosis. Um, and I I just shrugged and said, sure, because I was the new guy and I wanted to, uh, to be helpful. I wanted to keep my job. Um, and so I did it just because I felt like I had to. Um, and that, that became one of those just um, serendipitous moments because... Out of all the work I did, the practice, all the general counseling work with clients with depression and stress, the co-occurring disorders groups, um, that that work was my favorite work by far, and and that was simply out of just chance. Like I didn't have any plan. I was going to just do my office work. I wasn't going to do addiction-specific work, and then it turns out that the addictions work was the most meaningful work that I had ever done, and so. To me, I, the lesson for me was just always to kind of keep that openness and curiosity. Many of you may come into the counseling field and I, I just want to be just this or just that. And, and that's perfectly fine. That might be your path. But I would encourage you to just remain open to experiences. And if somebody says, yeah, I need you to um, uh, you know, work with clients in an area that you hadn't considered, be open to it. Um, uh, it might end up being your area of greatest passion, your area of greatest expertise. And that's what happened for me
0: that uh, very much tracks with my own personal experience. I know that when I was in my master's program, I was like, you know, I'm going to be a marriage and family therapist. And at the time I was uh, a high school teacher. And then uh, my principal came to me and said like, oh, you know, would you consider being our school counselor next year or one of our school counselors? And I had never wanted to be a school counselor, but someone said to me, oh, that's the fastest way to get your hours toward licensure. And I was like, oh, sure. I, I guess I'll do that for two years. And it was the greatest job. And I thought, okay, I'm going to parlay this into being a family therapist. I'll get some good experiences with adolescents and families. And it was just like the openness to whatever that really showed me like, oh, school counseling, like what a phenomenal, enjoyable, you know, like really engaging like outlet or like, you know, aspect of our profession. And then just that openness led me to be like, oh, I don't know if I want to be a full-time family therapist anymore. I want to be like a full-time counselor educator. So I, I just want to echo what you said, just that openness of the mindset, you know, like Anything could be possible. I'm pursuing the helping professions, but that may look very differently when I get out of the program from when I started.
1: Absolutely, and that's what, when students start our program. You know, they'll say, "Okay, I think do, I think this is what I want to do," and and you can tell there's this internal pressure of, um, "I think I want to do school counselor, but I'm not sure. It's like, well, start start taking some courses here, and then you can you can determine. Or uh, I think I want to do clinical mental health, and then they realize the impact they can have as a school counselor, and that seems like and that's a better fit. And so um, there's some leeway, as at least when you start our program, that you don't necessarily have to know exactly. Um, uh, you know, and I, I think there's always this feeling like you have to give off the perception of uh, like you seem more expert or more knowledgeable or informed if you're like, this is exactly what I want to do. So, no, I think in our program, when we hear, I'm not sure exactly the population, you know, I, I love hearing that. So going back to your addictions course, what do you hope that your students
0: will take away by the time they've completed that course? Because it's more like a survey. You said, you know, you're not licensed, you have expertise, and yet you don't necessarily have certifications uh, in that approach. When your students leave your course having just kind of scratched the surface of addictions counseling, like what do you hope their main takeaways are?
1: And I I believe this is of the utmost importance. What you don't know, you don't know. And so up until... a a student has taken an addictions course, you get trained a lot around the psychological model, viewing the mental health only as the key piece to what's going on, the depression, the stress, the anxiety. And what I've noticed tends to happen, and this happened for me too as a student, is as you notice with your clients, if they mention substance use or something like that, because it's not your area of comfort or because you have some counter transference of, I feel like it would be intrusive to ask this person about their drinking or marijuana use or cocaine use, then we just shy away from it altogether. And that's really a disservice to the client. Um, And so my hope is that my students through exposure to content around addictions will be more comfortable asking their clients about their substance use. um, And also viewing kind of addictions related models as As an important integration that mental health and substance use kind of integrate together, so that we're not working again I've, I've used this word before, but not working from a reductionist perspective and we're, so if a client has depression, but they also um, uh, you know use marijuana in a way that seems to be problematic again if we're if we're not comfortable with the addictions topic, we'll just focus on the mental health side and we'll ignore. And that's, again, either because we don't feel comfortable or we shy away from what we don't know. Like, I don't have any training in substance use, so I'm not, I'm not gonna ask about that, because I don't want to go there, because what if we open up a whole floodgate, and then I realize I'm out of my depth here. But what um, my hope is that my students who finish my addictions counseling course will feel more comfortable asking questions about clients' substance use, and knowing how to refer those clients for further treatment, how to meet the client where they are, um, and knowing what questions to ask. Um, so walking away with some general screening tools and things like kind of a rubric in your mind of what do I need to ask more about. Um, I, I like in addictions counseling, there's there's two things to me that I've noticed for students and myself that are really taboo and uncomfortable to ask about. One is if a client's having suicidal thoughts. And the other, and I think students are even more uncomfortable, is, is asking clients about their substance use. Um, And I think that could be for a lot of different reasons, and those reasons can be different for each counseling student or each counseling professional. And so when we're training students around doing a suicide assessment, we call it naming the taboo, um, feeling comfortable asking the client, have you had thoughts about killing yourself? And knowing that that's not going to um, harm the client, that in fact that's doing good, that's beneficent, you know, because we need to find out what the client's experiencing so we can connect with them and help them. It's the same thing for addictions. It it feels like a taboo sometimes for counseling students to say, How, um, you mentioned you were drinking, how often is that? You know, it's like we don't even wanna ask. But feeling comfortable saying, Yeah, you mentioned you drink from time to time, could you tell me about how often that is? Can you tell me about how many drinks and how, how how many ounces of that? Can you tell me, you know, and not asking these questions back to back, but over time, um, have you ever had any consequences related to your drinking, any DUIs, things like that? Client says they had a DUI. Could you tell me what the circumstances of that were? Again, without the class, the tendency is to say, oh, you had a DUI? Okay, let me move on. So tell me other things about your history, and we just move forward. Um, but being comfortable kind of sitting in that pocket and asking, well, you, you did mention you had the DUI three years ago. Could you tell me more about the circumstance? Because that's where the detailed and important information is of, yeah, I crashed my car into a tree, and I was in the hospital, and blah, blah, blah. But if we don't ask those questions, we'd never know. It's just like going to a physician. Sometimes if the doctor doesn't ask about certain aspects of, um, you know, uh, you know, pain, we're never gonna reveal that. Like, oh, I got a pain in my elbow, but uh, that scares me what that could be. So if she doesn't ask um, what that's about, I'm probably not gonna say anything. (laughs) Um, So, but if a a physician is trained to say, any other pain, pain in your arm or things, then I'm more likely to say, yeah, I do have that pain. And so again, it's an ethical issue. If you don't ask about a client's substance use, a lot of times, it's not that they're being manipulative, they're just not gonna tell you because you didn't ask. And so if my clients can walk away with nothing other than I feel more comfortable inquiring about substance use, asking follow-up questions and not just, you know, not just like saying, I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that and move on, then I feel I've won, you know, and so to speak, as the, um, I guess, as the instructor of that course. Well,
0: clearly our students are very privileged to get to take that course from you and the, the other, you know, enthusiastic and uh, talented faculty here who may teach it from time to time. But I think about, too, those who might be listening who are out in the field who maybe, as part of their program, didn't take a course in addictions counseling. What would be your word of encouragement or your recommendations for those individuals who might, you know, at this phase of their career feel, like you said, that initial discomfort or, you know, I don't want to go there or I'd rather not? You know, what resources are available to those counselors or, you know, what mindset should they begin to kind of process as a way of, being open to the possibility and really the necessity
1: of doing addictions counseling. Yeah, I think one of the things that can increase our self-efficacy around addictions work if you haven't had training, is knowing what the resources are in the community so that you can know that even if you don't have the training, you know some referral options for folks who do do this work or have more experience. And so knowing your own community, what are, uh, you know, how do, how can you get your clients linked up with AA or NA or Smart Recovery or Celebrate Recovery? What are the treatment programs um, uh, in my community? Um, which ones have pro bono options for clients who um, are having financial struggles? Which are the most comprehensive and best programs? How do I evaluate if a program a good one or a not so good one? The other thing is in this day and age, there's wonderful webinars. Um, there's things like that. So organizations like um, IOC, International Association for Addiction and Offender Counselors, for example, does uh, a lot of different webinars. Um, probably American Counseling Association, and so there's great ways that from your own couch you can learn a little bit more. Um, so, kind of kind of doing so that way, going to going to conferences. Um, so, just the face to face aspect, and just you you can build up your training through continuing education that way. And then I'd say the last way is really. So all I don't care if you're the most experienced counselor out there. We, we need to be still getting our own um, supervision. And so if this is triggering something for you, what Rob just mentioned, then the awareness that, boy, I don't know as much as I could or I didn't have this class and I'd like to learn more, like that's a great sign that you have that awareness of I want to know more. And so that's step one. Step two, I think, is talking to your su- – so if Rob is my supervisor saying, I really want to be more effective at – Kind of screening my clients around substance use and asking the right questions. I know I'm not the specialist, and that's not my role to provide the treatment. But I want to be able to, you know, to work with clients and conceptualize clients more effectively. Once I tell my supervisor, can you listen to my tapes for these things? Can you do live observation? Can you tell me what you know? So supervision is another kind of um, side door, but um, very appropriate route to kind of um, to to kind of build up those skills.
0: Well, you said that you know, the role of the counselor isn't necessarily to be the specialist and you acknowledge kind of those outside resources that someone who's struggling with substance use disorder would also um, most likely make use of. Can you talk about also kind of that collaborative uh, or team approach to treating substance use disorder from the role of the counselor?
1: Yeah, and so this is part of the reason that I say, you know, an addictions course, addictions training is for everyone because you a client may come to you and they just begin discovering that their substance use may be a problem. And though even though a treatment provider really has to be a certified addiction specialist or a licensed addictions professional, you may be that first line, um, that first responder, that first aid. Um, and that is a hugely important role. And so any counselor can do this. You might be the one that, motiv- that helps motivate the client to actually seek treatment, um, or they may say, you know, you may be a harm reduction option. In that, the client may say, I, I don't, I can't afford, or I don't have the time, or I don't want to go to treatment right now. I feel comfortable with you, and I'm willing to talk about my um, my heroin use with you. But I'm uh, I'm not going to any other you know. And so, um, you might session after session for a while be using skills like motivational interviewing, just using your reflective listening skills, helping the client explore the consequences of their use. And you might be that first responder that once you build that rapport around the substance use conversation, then you may have some more leverage to say, I wonder if you'd be open to pursuing some more specific addictions treatment around this. I know of some resources, and here's what these options look like. Um, But what are your thoughts on that? You know, it's up to you what what you want to do, client. What, What are your thoughts on that? So... I think the thing that really sticks with me is the idea of all counselors are still first responders. School counselors, clinical mental health, when you're in private practice, community, um, you're still an addictions counselor in a way, even if you're not a specialist, and your role is probably as important or maybe more important. What we know from the statistics is there's a huge disparity between the people who need treatment and those who actually receive it. And so it's really up to us, the general counselors, the not addiction specialists, to try to help folks get in the door um, build that helping relationship so they're more open to possibly getting more treatment, or you might be the only treatment they can afford or that they're willing to get. You're not providing specialist treatment, but you can still help the client. You can still hold up the mirror and help them explore the consequences of their use, the benefits of their... It's also important to help clients explore what they're getting out of their substance use. That'll reduce any resistance dynamic. Um, and it's just true. Like People don't use substances because they're all bad. There's something that folks are getting from them. And so when you can understand that and show the client that you're not being judgmental about that, they'll be more likely to disclose and do some work. Um, They'll be more likely to self-reflect about their substance use if you can be honest and explore both the benefits and the consequences. Those are things that all counselors can do.
0: Well, I want to thank you so much for your time and for sharing your passion and your expertise. As we wrap up, is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you would like to touch on that you feel like is an important or vital part of doing addictions counseling?
1: You know, I think... um, if we're talking about this topic and you're having strong feelings or thoughts about it, um, whether um, I would say especially if you're having strong negative feelings, like I really don't, I don't want any part of this addictions work, um, to possibly do some self-assessment. And th- that's perfectly okay to have those negative feelings. So this is not from a judgmental perspective that I'm trying to say. But that could be a sign to just do some self-exploration about what's going on within me that I have such a negative reaction towards doing this work. And that may give you some insight that you weren't aware of. It could be you had a family friend or loved one with addiction and you had that experience. You say, I don't want to be... Um, working with that client population or I've seen the show Intervention on TV and that's what all addiction looks like and I don't want a part of that. Um, You may have some insight into what your myths or biases are or your own real experiences um, with addiction. And um, a lot of counselors, the other thing I want to honor is that a lot of um, counselors, uh, you out there or uh, those of us who are clinicians, are in recovery ourselves um, related to substance use disorders or process addictions. And so... Um, that may factor in. So there's many, um, you can be an effective addictions counselor whether whether you're in recovery yourself or not. So sometimes counseling students will think, well, I'm not in recovery myself, and so um, I don't have any business doing that work. That's not true at all. There's no literature to show that folks in recovery are more effective or that folks who are not in recovery are more effective. So if you have a strong negative reaction to the idea of doing or providing some level of addictions counseling, maybe do some um, self-exploration around what what um, what that might be about, and there may be some insights that come from that.
0: Well again, thank you so much for your time, and thank you for sharing about you know the great work that you're doing here at Wake Forest. Uh, for those of you listening, we do have an on-campus and online program in clinical mental health and in school counseling.
1: Rob, can I have one last oh, thought? Oh yeah, please. Is that I feel like, because my training is in clinical mental health, I feel like I've neglected the school piece. Um, I would say probably along the lines of what I was saying about first responders, school counselors are probably even more impactful than (laughs) clinical mental health counselors in this light of – they're noticing when their students have parents with an addiction issue. They're noticing their teens – um, experimenting with substances, so th- the school counselors are really the boots on the ground that can maybe have prevention programs that they can screen and identify when issues are going on and getting folks referred, and so I want to make sure I speak to that as well, um, and, and, and so there's a little bit of my biases because my training and background is more in clinical mental health, um, but the school counselors have a prominent role in just general mental health, but we're talking about addiction. I, I believe there's a real impact there um, that school counselors have in the addictions world.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that perspective and thank you for your time.
1: My pleasure.